This is CliffCentral.com. Future CEOs on CliffCentral.com. Welcome to Future CEOs here on Cliff Central. My name is Gareth Armstrong. It is great to be with you. Yes, it's Thursday. Thursday 1 till 2 means that we are going to be bringing you senior executives, uh, entrepreneurs who are here to help you fast track your career and grow your business. Today is going to be no exception to that rule, except for the fact that the guest that we have in studio is both a CEO and entrepreneurial and also very young, which is a, a wonderful triad of different things. Jared, you're a CEO, yep. you're young, and you're an entrepreneur. How does that make you feel? Um, it makes me feel very overwhelmed at some points in time. Okay. Uh, the job's not always the easiest in the world, mm. and maintaining my age along with all the tasks that go along with being a CEO and dealing with people that are usually double, sometimes triple my age, yeah. makes it a little bit challenging, but... It's good. I enjoy it. I thrive under pressure. Okay, good. You then are no stranger to the the, the pitch, the 30-second pitch. Please very quickly pitch yourself to our future CEOs community who are listening. So I'm 25. I've been working since I finished school. I've been involved in my father's company, eventually got involved in my own company. Um, I've worked my ass off to be where I am today. I spend late nights doing work. I spend early mornings doing work. Mm. My fiance is no, not shy of telling me when I'm working too hard. Mm, good. Um, and I take the time off I need to actually recuperate. I think it's quite important. Fantastic. And that's the voice of Jared Chats, the CEO of Bitco. Jared, welcome to the Future CEO Studio. This, this seat where you are, it's not so much a hot seat. We're here to have a, an interesting, fun conversation, but we are wanting to learn from you. So talk to us a little bit about your history. You, you've mentioned some of it here. You, you grew up entrepreneurial, yes? So I'll start in the beginning. Um, very entrepreneurial in school. I started a few little programs. They were great while you were in school. I graduated high school. I decided not to go to varsity. I couldn't deal with studying any longer. I'm not the kind of person to deal with that. Okay. And in a world where sometimes education is criticized, formal education, or the, at least the education system, you know, this industrialized pipeline that is education, you decided to move away from it. Yeah. I decided to break the the barrier that I think a lot of people are under the impression that you have to have a degree in order to do something amazing for your life and get into the position you need to be. Now, I'm going to quickly jump in here, though. So that's maybe a decision you made. Maybe you can handle that kind of um, ambiguity, perhaps, some some of the risk that's involved there. But do you employ people with degrees or as a result of your background, are you able to look beyond that? It's a twofold effect for me. I look for very strategic people to join our company. If the role requires a degree because of the level of skill needed, Mm. then we look at it. But if not, and it's a strategic operational um, role that doesn't necessarily require a degree, but it would be nice to have, I generally look past it if the candidate's the right person for the job. How do you know if they're the right person? We ask the right questions. We've got quite an in-depth HR process. We use quite a renowned uh, recruitment company that mm. does all the background checks and 
we haven't been let down to date. So I okay. think that's testament to the whole system working in our favor. Okay, super. No, thank you for answering that because I, I am sometimes concerned when an entrepreneurial CEO type comes onto the show and says, oh, I didn't participate or I didn't go and get a degree. When sometimes our listeners, they, they need to do that in order to qualify themselves in order to develop some kind of security or confidence. Uh, in, in your particular case, you didn't have to do that. Let's move from that point on into the rest of your, your description or your story. Yeah, so I grew up, um, decided, as we said, not to go to, to varsity. I was privileged enough not to have to go. I, I then started working with my father. He runs uh, the franchise, the whole franchise for Vodacom for You and Chat Cellular. Okay. So all these retail outlets that sell Vodacom exclusive products. I started working for him as the youth marketing specialist as I was 19. Mm. Um, did that for a while. Didn't really enjoy it too much. Then I started working in a sales department, a national sales manager, and marketing. I've got quite an keen sense for marketing, even though no formal background attached to it. Sure. I then grew into uh, a more senior role, and as he was uh, promoting me to sales and marketing director, I decided that um, I wanted to try something different. And before that, I was looking at technology and ISPs, and I've really had this... Um, I don't know, this calling for technology and specifically the internet. When I was growing up, everyone is testament to the fact that the lines and the internet speeds we had were one meg, two meg, mm. three meg, four meg. Yeah. Horrible. I couldn't stand it. So I wanted to actually make a difference. So I was looking around with the help of my father uh, to look at an ISP to acquire or at least get a stake in. Mm. Bought a stake in an ISP called Bitco. Back in the day, they were much smaller than they are now. And then I just started working out of Bitco as the commercial director. From that point on, I was promoted to the managing director. And then the board voted me in a year ago to uh, CEO. So, so I want to challenge some of, of, of your story a little yes. bit, if I may, because I think it's important for people to understand who you are and perhaps the depth of who you are and the skills, the uh the inclination that you have to for commercials, for the sales, for marketing, as you've described, because some people may say, "Oh, well, Daddy, Daddy yes. gave it to you." It's definitely is, the case that I deal spoon. with on a on a daily basis. But that's usually what people's um, perception is when when the story gets told. Mm. And yes, I agree to a point. I've had help. I've definitely not been at in the trenches finding the money that needs to be there to be able to build these businesses. Mm. I've been fortunate, but mm. I have not been foolish with the fortune that I've been given. Mm. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about that not being foolish. You have described you having a particular skill or an eye for a good uh, way to pitch a product or a, a way to sell something. Yes. Then you became commercial director. Then you have a board that, that votes you in as, as CEO. Yeah. The, these are not small things. That would put you into... A, a very interesting class or group of individuals who see CEOs at 25. Yeah. Um, Most of my friends have finished varsity a year or two ago yeah, and only exactly. getting into jobs now. Exactly. Uh, and so uh, what is it about you that has allowed you to grow like you have? What, why did you move through these different levels so very, very quickly? Hard work, determination. I literally, I wanted to be the CEO. I wanted to run the company. Um, I have the aptitude to run companies. I feel that I do. Mm. I've done a, I feel that I've done a really good job in the last 
year running as CEO. Um, also, when I was growing up, uh, it's quite a, a story between me and my father. I, I was 13, 14, 15, and my dad used to come home every month with his financial board pack of exactly the earnings of the company, revenue, mm. balance sheet, uh, bad debt, and used to give it to me and he used to read it through with me. And okay. from that point in time, I used to just get... I was intuitive. I understood our balance sheets worked. I understood our income statements worked. Mm. I did accounting in high school. Mm. Um, I didn't get the greatest marks, but I did accounting in high school. Sure. I have I have a basic understanding of how how finance works, how books work, and I must be honest. Although I started out in this position or in the positions many years ago or a few years ago, um, most of the education I've had is on the job experience. It's mm. talking to people. It's understanding. I've made mistakes, no Absolutely, doubt, yeah. but I've learned from them and I don't make them again. Mm. That's the biggest thing in my book. Yeah, I think of Gil Overt who said that. He said, you know, you make a mistake once, um, I'm going to forgive you. Make a, make a mistake twice, I may just have to let you go, I'm afraid. Yeah. And so, yeah, make – and uh, a number of CEOs and founders have said that in different ways, that you must fail, fail fast, fail quickly, and try yeah. to fail as cheaply as possible as well. Definitely, I, I agree with that. So th- let's talk about one or two of those failures if we if we can. Be vulnerable, share – Share with our community uh, your maybe just one of the the biggest struggles that you've had over the last short period that you have been CEO. What what what's something that stands out? My biggest struggle that I deal with is not like really a personal one, mm. but I I really hate. I know it's a strong word, but mm. I really hate it when employees who've worked for me and work underneath me or work for any one of my executives resign. I really feel that. They should come talk to their, call it, um, executive or line manager and discuss it. I've had some good employees leave under bad reasons, mm. things that can be resolved. Mm. And it, it grates at me. It's like, I know I can fix it. They never gave me the opportunity to fix it. And I just, I, I take that personally. I really take it as a failure on my part when a valued employee leaves because they feel undervalued, but they don't voice themselves. They don't mm. come and talk to you. You know, I, I feel that. It's extremely important that employee, employer, and executives have a very open and honest relationship. My my door in my office is always open. I have my support managers, my support staff, my network engineers, my executives walking in any time. I've got a problem. Close the door. We talk about it. We fix it. We move on. But when the people don't come and speak, see me and there's conflict for whatever reason, that's really what grates me. That that really gets to my core and it upsets me and it ha- makes me have sleepless nights about how did it happen? Why mm-hmm. did it happen? How can I fix it? Employee morale. I want our employees to be the happiest employees. I want them to enjoy working for Bitco. I want them to know that when there's um, a fiber that's broken and we need to repair it, that it doesn't matter if it's three in the morning, they're out, they're repairing, mm. they're talking to customers, they're managing relationships and they're doing it not because they're getting paid, but because they love where they work and they love what they do. Yeah, I saw a nice quote the other day. Um, I forget who it was exactly, but it said, if you, if you're just employing someone for a job that they can do, a skill, they will work for your money. But if you employ someone that believes what you believe about the organization that you're in, they're going to give you sweat, blood and tears. And I think that's what I'm hearing you say you really want to be able to find those people but here's the question how do you get people to communicate through that sometimes either call it glass ceiling or that layer of cement uh, that exists between senior level management and these junior individuals who are often the people that i think you might be describing here How how do you how do you get past that that 
ceiling or wall because it's difficult. Yeah, I personally try to interact with all my staff from the lower end technicians who go out to site and install links on roofs and wireless and, and fiber connectivity to the senior engineers all the way to executives. I really try and engage with all of them. It may not be on a daily basis, but we have company socials and I really try to chat to them. I joke around with them. I try, I try to break down that barrier mm. with just socializing. I also do make it very clear to everyone that if you come see me and there's a problem, there's no repercussions. If there's an issue, we'll fix it together. Mm. I don't want it to be seen that, um, that if they come to me and there's a problem and they bring a problem that I'm going to take it negatively and, and discipline them because, because of that. And sure. that's not where I want to stand. Um, if they feel that they can't talk to their direct manager and then they need to go and chat to our HR department, which also has an open policy who comes to speak to me and say, this individual didn't really want to come and chat to you, but they came to us and I've got to bring these concerns to you. And then I deal with it in the background. And at the end, I go talk to the individual and say, are you happy now? Sure. We fixed everything. You are on track. And mm. usually it all works out in the best interest. Mm. Mm. I know it sounds like a good process to go to yeah. certainly follow. Uh, I'd like us to, to change the angle of the conversation slightly sure. and let's talk about you because of your age, because of uh, a, I mean, I can certainly imagine a 45 year old, a 50 year old, 55 year old saying, what does, what do you know about leadership? Let's talk a little bit about maybe how you have had to deal with some potential ego or uh, this, this, some of the, uh, some of the, the nonsense that comes with age. Yeah. Um, let's, Let's engage a little bit. What's an experience that you've had then? How have you been able to bridge that divide? So I'll start it off with a bit of a story that mm. my dad actually told me from his his humble beginnings. My dad started off with nothing, and he has a lot today mm. because he worked for it. Mm. So he worked in a jewelry store many, many years ago. He was really good at his job, and at 27, they wanted to make him the, they actually said, you know, if you were just a little bit older, we would make you the general manager for all the jewelry stores mm. in Gauteng. The next day he resigned. And the, his boss was like, well, we just gave you the biggest compliment. He goes, if my age is the reason you won't promote me, not because of my work, then I'm definitely working in the wrong industry mm. and for the wrong people. Mm. And that's the way I've kind of lived my life. If, if people challenge me based on my age, I give it right back and I work and I'm I, I'm harder on myself than I think most people are hard than other people who are harder on me. Um, I deal with other CEOs. I deal with other individuals who have criticized, maybe not to my face, but behind my back, which is not always the best thing about my age and does you know how to run a company. And I think testament to the fact that the company's running, growing and just exceeding all expectations shows that it's not. It's not one person who leads a company. It's a company that leads a company. Sure. So my executives are amazing. I've got an amazing sales director. My network infrastructure is amazing. My, uh, basically everyone I deal with on a daily basis who's in charge of making sure business operations work and flow go above and beyond. They'll work until 10 o'clock at night, two in the morning. They'll get into work early. And I think that's, that's the biggest call it grace that I've had, that I've got this amazing team that firstly voted me in because they trusted me. I was 24 when I was voted in. Mm. Um, I had two years of experience in the company. The, uh, they, they, I was, I was a shareholder who bought in. Sure. They, and it was testament when they all voted me in to be CEO that they put their trust in me. 
that that a 24-year-old at the time could run the company that's worth a lot of money today and there's a lot of risk associated with that. So I think it's it's just about overcoming that sense of don't worry what other people think about you. Just do the best you can do in your situation and surround yourself with good people who can help you because there's no ways in the world I could run the company with just me being the leader. Mm. There needs to be guidance from other employees who've got more experience than I do. And I'm, I'm happily, uh, listen to everyone's advice, criticisms. Um, and I decide if I want to go with it or kind of mold it all together and do my own way with some of their advice. And that's just how I, how I've been able to do things. I, you know, my father when I need to, and mm-hmm. you know, my executives when I need to. And then I just, I'm the person who has to make the, the tough decisions at the end of the day if I follow one way or another way. And, you know, when you run a company and the company succeeds, everyone's clapping. Or when it fails, everyone's not clapping. Yeah. 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 And, and, and often they're looking upwards. Yes. They? they don't look down. They don't look at the engineer who crashed and they look at the CEO who never put the right people in place to make sure, sure it doesn't happen. Sure. Yeah. So the uh, let's let's then talk about your leadership specifically. Uh, three pillars of CEO leadership that is working for you as you currently are sitting here across from from me here in studio. Three pillars of CEO leadership: open communication, okay, trust, and fun. Fun. I think the uh, I'd like to ask us to explore trust and fun. If sure. That's all right, because sometimes it's difficult, especially uh, when you are a, a lower level employee, yes. to say, "Well, I'm actually having fun at work." Uh, uh, how do you bring fun into the workplace? How do you do that? How do you get it to flow all the way through the organization? Because maybe in senior executive level, you can whatever it is that you would do to have fun, but sometimes that doesn't filter down. How do you do it across the organization? So we've embarked this year specifically on staff morale upliftment to make sure that the the lower-end staff is speaking about actually feel that the fun that they've been looked after and that they're valued. Mm. So fun and valued kind of go hand in hand mm. because if you're having fun, you feel valued, and if you feel valued, you're having fun, In my in my view. So... We put together some staff incentives um, regarding like performance bases. So if you do well, you don't just get rewarded with a bonus at the end of the year. You can get rewarded during the year. We've got a canteen. We've got vending machines. We've got um, uh, very uh, different like tax benefits. So guy, we'll do all your tax returns. So we've got guys that we pay a fee and then all the staff can send all their tax-related inquiries oh, to people and they will do all your tax returns. So no one has to struggle and think about how do I e-file this mm. thing for myself. Mm. Um, we do quite a bit. Eh? We do birthdays. We publicly announce everyone's birthdays to the whole company. Oh, we give gifts to people on the anniversaries. Uh, we generally try to hold socials between departments. So, for example, projects and technical are going out on Friday. Next week, this week, they're going to fire this week and they're going to do a cook-off. Mm. So they're just going to go buy groceries, go somewhere in, uh, North Riding, I think it is, and go do a cook-off in this, uh, industrial area. Mm. And they're just out the office for the day and, you know, work carries on. If there's an emergency, there's a vehicle there in case they need to run out to a client. So we make sure that things are looked after and that they don't feel like that they work like, uh, workhorses all the year around dragging a bag of cement around the complex, you know, mm. just to like, Fulfill time. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so we we flexible. Like, um, if people come talk to me and they need assistance, financial assistance, if they need time off because they're overworked, 
I'm all ears and usually are all my executives and we always, we don't stick to, you know, you work eight to five. Mm. If you've worked one night because there's a failure and you've been up till two in the morning, come in at three in the afternoon or come in at 12 in the afternoon so that you can get some work in, but we don't expect you to work the whole day because you've just been working the whole night. Well, I mean, it, it speaks to the open communication that you have just referenced. Uh, plus also then it, it sounds like you're trying to strip away some of the bureaucracy that exists yeah. in, in other organizations. And I appreciate that. Let's quickly talk about trust yeah now the best definition of confidence i ever heard so you having confidence in me or myself having confidence in you is this idea of trusting in processes that work or that produce results so you'll have confidence in me if the processes that i use produce results and that's where trust actually resides in the process yeah. a proven process what would be your definition of trust and then also how do you then build that throughout the organization I'd say what, instead of a definition, I'll give you an example of mm. how, how I feel trust works. If an employee comes to me with a problem and I need to resolve it, then I will do whatever I need to do to resolve that problem and make sure that they feel that the problem has at least been resolved or tempted to or there's an in-between ground that's happened. And I also trust in the processes, as you said. If I give someone a task or they ask me to do something and I can't and I don't fulfill it or they don't fulfill their task, then the trust relationships kind of withering away because mm. if I can't trust you to do your job, then I'm never going to give you a task. And if you can't trust me to fulfill what I've asked, what you've asked of me, if you ask me to please have a look, I'm struggling in this area, I need some assistance, and I say, yeah, yeah, I'll help you, and I'll just never help you, then you're not going to come talk to me again. You know, and then that trust relationship is gone because you don't believe what I say and I don't believe what I give you is going to actually get done. Mm. Have you experienced this? Is there, is there a personal element to this idea of trust? Because you said trust very quickly. It seems like it's very important to you. Yeah. Yeah, I've had, I've had individuals break my trust and it's not something I take lightly. I give my trust openly. And if I had to break trust, I would feel extremely upset. Um, as an individual, because I, I base it as one of my, my core values, trust. Um, and I've had people break their values towards me or their trust values towards me. And it's, it's not a great thing to deal with. Mm. And when you've lost trust, it's very hard to build it back up. How would you go about repairing trust? If it, it, so let's, let's be you as the person that has broken trust. What would you, what would you do? How would you do it? So if I'd broken someone's trust, I'd firstly go to them and say, is it possible to repair it? Mm. Firstly, if, if their mind's made up and it's not possible, then, you know, then we, you know, peeing in the wind. Yeah, exactly. You're fighting against a losing battle. Yeah. And then at that point, we both need to decide where we want to go with this. Do we want to carry on working together? Do we want to part ways and amicably move aside for the next person mm. to, to come in? And if it is repairable, then I would, Ask them, okay, what do you need next? You know, what can I show you? How can I show you? Because I don't think it's just about, do you trust me? Yes, I do. No, in my view, trust is earned and it's, it's almost bought. It's like, what can I, what can I show you that you, that I can do that will show you that I have, tr you have trust in me? Mm. So yeah, I need you to do this for me. I really would like some help. Yeah. And if I fail again, then yes, the trust is broke. But if I can prove that, I'm willing to go above and beyond and make it happen. Then I think the trust starts to get earned back. Mm. No, I pre I appreciate this consultative approach that you seem to have to a lot of the interactions that you're that you're a part of. Uh, we're running out of time very very quickly. How do you, who says you're not really academically inclined, how do you develop yourself on an ongoing basis? The people I surround myself with. Okay. Must be honest. Um, 
I haven't got a law degree, but I've got an amazing lawyer on retainer who picks up the phone, talks me through legal contract, talks me through this. And I've got to a point now where I start drafting clauses, send them to him to check, not mm. now the other way around where mm. I say, I need something done this way. Please help me. Um, my academic, well, academic kind of knowledge comes from the fact that I just try to learn on the job. I really put every effort into knowing what we do, how we do it, uh, learn, learning the processes from the ground up, surrounding myself with the people who are willing to impart knowledge um, and asking questions. I ask a lot of questions to a lot of engineers, a lot of staff. Like I said, 25, I don't know the the how to program a fiber link so it delivers 100 meg services at your office. But I know the people who do know how to do that. But I need to know the underlying infrastructure, how that works, if something fails, what to change. So I ask the right questions. I surround myself with the right people. And I study up online whenever I get a chance and I don't know something. And I'm maybe too afraid sometimes to ask because it might show my age or my inexperience. Mm. I'll, I'll look it up online. I'll try, I'll try, um, find the, the best possible piece online for the information. I'd love to go and study further at some like business college, but I don't have time. Mm. I'd love to do like some evening calls just to like better my skill set. But because of the position I'm in, it's just impossible. Mm. Yeah. T- time is a rare commodity. And yeah. it sounds like you spend a lot of your time on making sure that your business is really functioning well. Yeah. Jared, we have run out of time <laughs> on that particular point. It's so, we, we so appreciate you coming into studio and talking to us and our future CEOs community. We're going to part ways on one, one question. Sure. Now, this is a question that we, we usually ask individuals who have uh, can look back onto their 20-year-old future CEO self from a, a bit of a different vantage point, which is a 45, 40, 50-year-old vantage point. Yeah. Um, looking back, you have the interesting position now to look back on the 20-year-old you <laughs> and give that person advice being 25, but knowing and having grown a yeah. substantial amount. I'm no, sure I know that what I've grown in five years from five years ago was substantial. Yeah, so tell... The future CEO, 20 year old you, uh, just what he should be doing, uh, to expedite this process. What advice would you give the 20 year old future CEO you? Don't give up. Uh, there'll be challenges ahead. Put your head down, work hard, overcome them, surround yourself with the right people and make sure you have a can do attitude to make it happen. Jared, thank you so very much for those insights and for speaking to our future CEOs community today. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been amazing. That's the voice of Jared Chats, the CEO of Bitco. And we'll be back after the break right after this. This is cliffcentral.com.